Hey everybody, how's it going? What's up? It's your friend Chase. That's right. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Drivers Live Show here on Creative Live. I am so happy to be in your ears. Grateful. Gratitude to the maxitude. You guys are in store for an amazing show. This week's guest is Ryan Hoover. If you hail from Silicon Valley or you are a techie product nerd like me, then you know Ryan as the founder of Product Hunt. It is the place where new products get released every single day. Um, in addition to Ryan having made this site out of nothing, and it's a community of millions, um, he is also an, an author. I first came in touch with his writing on Medium, and then later I found out he actually contributed to one of the what I think is one of the best product centric. And by product, I mean like you know digital goods or physical goods. A product, a book. A friend of mine wrote named Near Near Isle. I think he's got. We got to get Near on the show. But I found out recently that Ryan contributed to that book, and I was like, ah, I can totally see it. Anyway, this episode goes deep around products. And more than anything, I wanted to have Ryan on the show for, well, for many reasons, but more than any, the fact that what Ryan has watched is Ryan has watched a hundred products get released every day for like five years. So thousands and thousands of products get put on Ryan's site and he watches the, and these are, when I buy products, I mean, sometimes it's a podcast, sometimes it's a information like a, a class or something. Other times it's hardware or software or a game. And Ryan has watched what it takes to create a successful launch. And knowing that we're a community of creators and entrepreneurs, I couldn't think of someone better to help guide you around the things that make successful launches. So many times I see people in this community do, you know, put so much time and work and energy into something only to do a bad job at launch or to realize that that launch is more than just one day. And there's literally nobody better to learn from than Ryan Hoover. So much goodness in this episode. We also talk a little bit about his past, how he got to where he is. Uh, there's a couple cool uh, hacks and secrets and things that he's done in the launches that he has created, not just with Product Hunt, but with other. He comes from the world of gaming. Uh, just a fascinating, super, super smart guy. And I can't wait for you to get into the show. So I'm gonna get out of your way. But before we do, just a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits. And today, Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Live classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own. And on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash 
There you go. Now let's get into the show. Chase, super good. We've yeah. been trying to make this happen for a long time. I know, I know. Been a while since I saw you. Amsterdam. Yes. Amsterdam. Yeah, that was it's, a fun trip. Yeah, how it sounds like it sounds. I don't. I, I'm not a fancy person. It sounds fancy though. When we say we, last time we I saw know, each other. I know, I know, I know. It was my <laughs> first time actually. I Amsterdam. rarely leave the country. Yeah, it's very sophisticated. Yeah. So at, I went to a museum at the Banksy. Exhibit, the Banksy yes. Museum. I mean, how many trendy things can we <laughs> say in two sentences? The reality is, we got we got. You know, it was a free trip for yes. us because it was a conference. It was a tech thing. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, Oh, so there's, I have uh, about 10 different things that I want to try and cover in the next hour. I, I'm struggling, honestly, to just, like, I really want to go right after one, but I, mm -hmm. for, the, for the folks, the few folks who don't know who you are or about your background, give me, like, the overview. You know, I know you consider yourself a product guy. I first knew of you as a writer. Also, you know, uh, you, you'd be a con been a contributing writer to a book that I love. Mm -hmm. um, by Near, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah. give give us a little shape on who you are and how you got to where you are right now. Yeah. So let's see. Once upon a time, I um, I grew up in Oregon originally, and I was there. Oregon. For Oregon. Uh, <laughs> very green over there. Very cold. Uh, I've grown very soft now living in San Francisco. But grew up in Oregon. Went to school there. Was there for about 21 years. Then moved to Portland, Oregon. Uh, long story short, ended up stumbling into a startup, a video game startup, which was my uh, first career in the, the world of tech um, as an intern. So oh, wow. unpaid intern, which was great. I learned so much. It was, uh, you know, without that, I don't know if, where I'd be, honestly. Um, that ultimately didn't work out, ended up leaving that company, moving to San Francisco to join another company, also in gaming, uh, as a product manager. So my sort of professional career was marketing into product management. And uh, learned a lot there at that company for about three and a half years. Um, we went from 10 people, downsized to a six, I think, at one point, and then went to about 100 or so before I left. So wild ride. Wow. Um, company's still around and, and still really good friends with the CEO. Um, and then three and a half years into that company, I, I realized, well, you know, I'm kind of sick of building things for other people. Yeah. I got tired of building for mobile game developers was our audience. And while I loved the vision and what we were building, I, was, I just wanted to build something for myself at the end of the day. So I realized, okay, now is a good time maybe for me to move on, transition and do something new. Um, I gave notice to the company and said, hey, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Um, don't know what I'm gonna do yet, but I wanna do something different. Um, so I'll give you two months you know, to transition out. That turned into part-time role, which actually was great. Like it was, I'm super fortunate to have that opportunity where they just cut my salary in half, said work 20 hours a week and then go figure out what you want to do. And um, between that time is when I was doing a lot of writing um, and then ultimately started Product Hunt yeah. uh, around that time. Okay, so there's so many gems in there uh, that I'm going to quickly unpack. One is that you didn't actually set out to create uh, the destination on the internet where people discover new products every day, that you were just sort of following one step at a time. I think mm -hmm. that a lot of people who are paying attention to the show are people who want to do a lot of the same things that you just talked about, but don't know where to start, and they mm -hmm. think that they have to sit back and plan their whole life. So I love that. We'll, we'll touch base on that in just a second. And the fact that you had this transition period, I think everyone else mm -hmm. out there at home is like, okay, bet it all, quit everything, yeah. and go yeah. all in. And, and to me, it's one of the biggest sort of misunderstandings about the life of an entrepreneur or a creator is that you have to, you know, 
to, to say that you're going all in, that's more of an emotional, spiritual journey because there's things like food and rent. That mm -hmm. Or could families. Act, yeah, or families cases, that yeah. actually yeah, get in the way. So, um, well, let's, let's go to Product Hunt. How do you describe, because yeah. for those of you who don't know, I, they're, it's a very popular site, so there's probably not that many on the internet who don't know about it, but how do you describe it? I talk about like that's where I go to get new products every day. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, people use it for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. At, at its core, it's a community of people launching and sharing new products. Yep. So these are physical products. Um, one you were just showing right before yep. we hit uh, the record button here. That's not out uh, yet, but which isn't out yet, but coming soon. <laughs> it's right um, over there. That's the type of thing. Yeah. Uh, I have to be guess be vague about it. Sure. That's the type of thing you'd see on Product Hunt. You also see apps um, and a lot of trends kind of emerging. You see these waves of new technology trends surfacing. Whether it's like drones back in the day when they were yeah. brand new. A lot of people are experimenting with not only software, but hardware around drones. Yep. Um, today, we're seeing a lot of blockchain and crypto-related products and things emerge. What is so. it? Crypto Kitties? I saw that today. I was on yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> crypto Kitties is the latest and coolest <laughs> thing. And uh, it's essentially like a Pokemon or a Beanie Babies yeah. built on the blockchain. Um, a lot of people, over $3 million today in the past week has been um, spent in US dollars on, that, uh, on, on this crypto collectible, they're calling it. Um, and it's just a really interesting example of how you see these kind of trends emerge and these people using new technologies in creative ways. Yeah. So I think that's a really, it's a very nice package to put Product Hunt in. I think it's a really good descriptor. I feel like I use it for not just um, launching products because you guys, yeah. we've launched podcasts on there. This podcast was on that, uh, on your platform. Um, I think. To me, it's the trend part is really interesting because you start mm -hmm. seeing a lot of volume about a particular thing. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of because it's for the people who are the builders of those products. And that passion is usually much earlier than mainstream or even early adoption. Mm -hmm. Like these are for like the people who are actually creating the things. Mm -hmm. So it has helped me in the past um, get into that. But what part of you is reflected in product time? Like is it the curious part? Is it like... Are you a gadget? You know, yeah. Are you a gadget geek? Like, like so many of the people in our, you know, who are watching here are camera freaks, design freaks, mm -hmm. like the newest productivity hacks. So they're entrepreneurs and creators. And what I'm trying to map, like, what part of you said, I want to create this thing where we discover new products? Yeah. So going back to what I said earlier, and that I, I wanted to build something for myself, yeah. and. I was experimenting with a bunch of different ideas, but ultimately I realized me and my friends are always sharing new products all the time, whether they're apps or new products that you read about in the tech press. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't a place for a community of people to kind of come around and share these cool things that we were finding in a structured way, nor was there a way to talk to the maker of these, these products. So for me personally, I've, I grew up as a kid um, just learning how to do like basic HTML, CSS, just because I wanted to build a, a website. And yeah. the goal was I want to build a website not necessarily I want to make money or like do it for any um, other motive than just like I want to create something. Yeah. So I also used to like hack Xboxes when I was a kid. So like playing with hardware and like learning how do I like exploit this thing <laughs> for yeah. my own gain. Um, those are all things that I did as a kid and um, some of it inspired by my entrepreneurial parents. Um, but then product in itself sort of manifested with all this interest in new technologies and products and um, even the way that we try to Build the community. We try to make it playful, and kittenish is like a word that we use. Um, not related. Yeah, kittenish, um, which means playful. Yeah. Um, there's other words that we've kind of described internally, described product hunt, which is like curious. People go there because they're curious about new technologies and playing with new things. 
Um, all of these traits ultimately are mapped back to my personal passions and interests. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't necessarily I'm going to build a product that maps my own kind of inherent motivations, but it sort of organically happened that way as it started to grow and form. Well, what, well there, uh, I guess one of the things that I find is when people scratch their own itch, like those are the things that work because for every Ryan Hoover, there's probably, you know, I don't know how, many your, how big your community is, but tens of millions of people who are curious about hardware, software, the new products coming mm -hmm. out, want to be at the center of it. And the fact that you're able to make a living in a life, like literally discovering new products every day, it's almost yeah. like you're, you know, you're curating and, and reviewing and building community around that. Like if you'd have said that, that five years ago or 10 years ago, that was possible. Mm -hmm. People are like, wait a minute, so you're gonna like create a, an entire career and a company yeah. out of like playing with shit on the yeah. internet? Yeah, I know, it's, it's kind of, it's the old joke. Um, there are now infomercials on this where it's like, can't believe I'm getting paid to play video games, and it's like yeah. a QA job or something. Yeah. Um, but the reality is a lot of these, especially early technologies or movements, mm -hmm. um, ultimately start out by hobbyists or people who are passionate to explore uh, yeah. a certain technology. Um, my brother, I was just telling you earlier before this, my brother just finally got a job in videography. He's been um, doing jobs he hated for years, actually. Uh, didn't go to college, but he found this passion in you know doing drone filming and editing videos, doing yeah. all this, and now he uh, you know is able to do that as a career, which is amazing. Um, so yeah, I think people who build things for themselves does, that's not the only way to build a company for by sure. any means. Yeah. However, it's incredibly motivating, and one you're probably more likely to stick with it when things get really hard because they do, yep. um, and two you know the user, you are the user, and so it's a lot easier to empathize and build for that person if you are that person. Yeah, that's spoken, folks out there. If I'm, if you're watching this, then I'm looking at you, and if you're listening to this, then, then you should know that I'm looking at you. <laughs> um, so the the there's another. I'm, I, I realize I'm bouncing around a little bit. We're trying to. I'm trying to like set up the base of the triangle yeah. that we're going to build up. But um, how did you create this thing? Because I think you know this is a group, and I, I talk about this a lot on the show. The group that's trying to go, there are people who identify themselves as creators or entrepreneurs or makers, and then there's mm -hmm. a group that is, you know, I, I, I'll call it creator curious, yeah. and they've got a, a safe job that um, provides for themselves and their family, but there's also that lack of fulfillment, and they're trying mm -hmm. to find a way to bridge from where they are to where they want to be. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about, I mean, so your story, you were younger, but you still didn't just quit what you're doing and go all in. Go back to that, mm -hmm. that, that point you made just a little bit ago. How specifically and as detailed as possible did you create Product Hunt? So it started, Product Hunt in some ways started years before Product Hunt began, mm -hmm. which, um, you know, it started off initially by a lot of the, you mentioned my writing. I, and I was, I'm never, I'm not a professional writer. Um, I actually hated writing back in high school. And I think it's because my teachers make me write book reports on books I didn't, barely read and didn't yeah. really like. But I loved writing about technology and user psychology and marketing and all these things which were usually based on observations or, or maybe conversations with people. Uh -huh. So I, back in maybe, I think it was 2013, I ended up at the end of the year uh, marking down like how many essays did I write? And it was 150 that year. Um, some of them very short, so it wasn't super long, but uh, still 150 is a lot and I was yeah. surprised by that. Um, and a lot of that had, over time, over the prior two years, built, didn't have a massive audience, but at least enough of people following my writing or following me on Twitter, yeah. um, 
subscribe to my email list, um, my personal newsletter, um, where it built up some tiny bit of reputation or at least an audience that when I did launch Product Hunt, I, I launched it into an audience of people who would at least pay attention and check it out. Yeah. Um, and also a community of people who clearly are, were into technology, technology just as I was because yeah. I was writing about tech. Um, so Product Hunt in many ways, it started well before Product Hunt was even an idea. And then, then one morning, the actual idea for Product Hunt was just, it wasn't anything, uh, I didn't write a business plan. Um, I didn't forecast my five-year financial projections. Um, initially, it was just an email list in the beginning. And uh, I wanted to create something that I could build very easily. Um, I'm not an engineer, uh, one, so I was forced to get creative. Uh, and then two, I just wanted something out there quickly. So I'm like, okay, how can I do that? Let me create an email list. Every day, there'll be new products uh, that are launching, and I'll see if people like this content. And that took about a half an hour or less to set up, send it to the people that were following me on Twitter and other communities, and then um, you know, that sort of organically started to grow from there. Great. So, and then at some point, you did Y Combinator? Yeah, yeah. So this was, so the, uh, we went from email newsletter for about two, three, four weeks. People kept signing up. I thought you were going to say years, and then you said weeks. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> two or three, four weeks, uh, we, we, I was just having fun with this. And yeah. meanwhile, I'm, uh, again, in a good position where I'm making at least enough money to float in financially in San Francisco. Yeah. I was working 20 hours at, at Playhaven um, and then kind of experimenting with this on the side. And um, Take and note, folks at home. Like That's, a, that's the way to do it. Wait tables. Yeah. Do something where you have more time, even if you have less money, because at the beginning when you're experimenting, you don't actually need money. You need time and space, mm -hmm. mental, mm -hmm. you know, mental freedom to pursue the thing. So I think that's key. Sorry, keep yeah, yeah. I mean, and a lot of people, they, um, some are fortunate also to work nights and weekends on their, their projects when they're employed somewhere. Um, yeah. it's, you don't have to quit full time and go in sometimes. Yeah. Um, so ended up working on that on the side and two or three, four weeks passes and it starts to continue to grow. And I'm, getting people emailing me saying, hey, I like that product and email. Uh, that's really cool. I'm finding cool stuff on there. And so it was a bunch of reinforcement saying, okay, people seem to like this. And yeah. I was having fun with it. So I'm like, all right, email is great. It's a great place to start. But we need to build this into a website, a community where people can interact. So I reached out to my buddy, uh, Nathan Bashaw, who we'd uh, known for a while. And um, over Thanksgiving break, this is almost exactly four years ago, actually. Uh, he and I were hacking together. Um, he was building it, and we were collaborating um, remotely because he was back at his parents' place, um, and he had free time. So it was like Thanksgiving break. Uh, and we built the site and launched it to some beta users, got their feedback, sent them wireframes, getting them, like, getting them involved in the process. Um, and then we eventually launched it shortly after that in December, the website itself. So, so total time from start to finish on the website was weeks? It was about five full days of... Uh, and it was just a Ruby on Rails app, simple, like a website where you could post things and then have a comment feed, basically. So yeah. not very um, difficult, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, about five days, roughly. And then we had maybe five to 10 days of beta testing. And this was about 100 people where we would manually I'd be emailing each one of them one-on-one, -on -one, getting feedback and getting them, one, uh, ultimately bought in and excited about what we were building. Yeah. Um, you don't need thousands of people on day one. You just need 100 people who love what you're building. And uh, a great way to do that is just being very community focused and like very um, personable uh, with those people. So combination of people I knew or people who were using the email. Um, and then so we launched that and then the website 
kind of the, the fast forward over the course of like three or four months, it just kept growing and we kept working on it. Again, still a side project, um, not even incorporated or anything. Uh, and then it was a time where we're like, okay, well, it's been five months, thing is growing, I could see where this could go, what do we do? Um, so that's the big question is, do you raise money? Do you build a team? Do you keep it a side project and, and make money on like job postings or some other revenue stream? Um, and then that's when I started talking to YC around that time, Y Combinator. Okay, what's yeah. that like? Um, so that was, so my path towards Y Combinator, our path towards, towards YC was unique in that, ironically, we're building a product that is for people in technology and for startups. So in some ways we had an advantage in that they already knew about Product Hunt and they, their YC companies in that prior batch were actually using it. <laughs> they were using meta, it to launch and- Yeah, a great yeah. little meta reflexive thing there. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it started circulating inside of YC and, and then uh, I got a, a DM from one of the, um, Nicholas, CEO of Algolia, DMs me is like, hey, have you thought about Y Combinator? Um, Gary Tan would love to meet you if you're interested. And at the time it was like right at the, the moment where I'm like, what, do I, what are we gonna do with this thing? Like, do we raise money? Do we build a team? Do we not? Um, I wanted to be very careful because once you raise money, it's not like you can be like, actually, never mind, here's the money back. Um, yeah. Like, I want to do this other thing. Uh, so you got to be confident. Yeah. So at first I was like, I would love to meet Gary. Let's like, I want to get his thoughts and feedback on it. So met with Gary and then after that met with, he connected me with Kevin Hale and Kat and Alexis Sohanian. Um, so I spoke with all four of them before applying to YC. And the impetus was really, I just want to get feedback ultimately and understand just their perspectives. They built companies like Alexis built Reddit, uh, one of the largest websites in the world. Um, very community focused, obviously, uh, uh, property. So I'm like, if anyone's gonna know what to do or have good advice, it's gonna be Alexis. So uh, spoke with them and then decided, you know, YC be the best place for us to kind of kick off and, and make this a real company and build a team. Um, and then just ended up applying, got an interview and ultimately got in, so. Yeah, there's an element of mentorship there that I love, which is you're finding people in the community who've done something bigger or first or, or similar to the thing that you're aspiring to. Mm -hmm. And that's just a recurring theme that I also, I can't, like, of the, you know, 150 people who sat in the chair that you're sitting there, like, there's, like, 145 of them who said that same thing, that, that, um, that role, that mentorship that I think maps to the story that you just told me. Yeah. Do you feel like you have, outside of YC, do you still keep a mentor? How do you think about mentorship and what role does that play for you? Yeah, I think it's, for me, mentorship's always been somewhat organic. I never said, hey, like email someone, do you want to be my mentor? Because um, <laughs> that is scary, right? It's like, hey, we're going to be, we're going to date for the <laughs> yeah. next like X years. Yeah. Whoa, bro. So I don't, I don't have any official mentors, let's say, but yeah. I do have a lot of people who are older and more experienced than I do. Um, who helped me in the beginning and still help today. Uh, and in fact, like near, near AL, um, who I connected with and admired his writing for, for years, um, uh, we ended, I just actually cold emailed him and just like told him, hey, I love your writing. Um, you know, I'd love to meet sometime. And it was kind of, that's how our relationship started and that ultimately turned into helping him write his book. Um, but yeah, in terms of mentorship, I think I think the way to approach it in my mind is always identify who can you learn from and try to create value for them in some way or just be casual about it. Um, I've received emails where people are like, can you be my mentor? <laughs> and I'm just, I, I don't, and it's the first contact I've had with them. It's like, I can't say yes to that. Yeah. I don't know you. Um, and, 
anyone who's probably being asked to be a mentor also has a lot of other commitments to other people. So it's not, it's a hard ask. So yeah. um, all that's to say like mentors and people who um, can teach you things and help in different ways are super important. Um, I actually met with a, a person I've known for years and he's thinking about starting a company now and we're just, we met up and I had flashbacks to four years ago when I met up with like someone like Josh Elman um, who I had similar conversations with. I was like, hey Josh, should I start this company? Yep. Should I join a company? What should I do? Uh, and he was help, helpful in thinking through that and making connections to other people um, like lawyer Josh Cook at Gunderson and others um, yeah. who helped along the way. Josh Elman, for the record, uh, early product at Twitter. Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. He's a, a partner at Greylock, which is a, uh, they're an investor in Creative Live, known oh, yeah. for a long time. Amazing. It's like we set that up or something. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> um, no, but I think that the concept of mentorship when you're creating something new and ideally useful is so critical. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of the, the casual. Um, and then use mastermind groups and other things where you can create more accountability for yourself and the people mm -hmm. who've actually done the thing, like the reality is that they don't have formal mentorship programs mm -hmm. as humans. You know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah. I'm taking six mentors and we're going to march them through. A, but, you know, there are more structured things like Seth Godin's, you know, Alt-MBA and mm -hmm. or, or uh, mastermind groups, whatnot. But it's interesting to hear how that's played a, a key role for you. So. Mm -hmm. Well, again, there's several things that I was important for me to have you on the show to discuss. One of the most important, which I've admired in you for a long time, and I think hearing how you think about this will really benefit the people on the other end of the, um, the show here, people who are listening in and watching. You watch how stuff is launched every day and have for years and years, mm -hmm. and presumably you've seen it done really well, and you've seen it done poorly. And this community is a community of makers. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to give not just professional advice, life advice, or like conceptually tell us the best way to launch things, or a yeah. good way, and mm -hmm. tell us some crappy ways, and what are some patterns that you've seen? Yeah. Because uh, I don't, you've had a front row to some of the biggest hits on the internet. So what does it look like? What does it not look like? Yeah, I think one of the things that doesn't get as much attention, there's, there's advice like make sure your, your tagline or copy or marketing landing page is clear and concise and like all of that's true. Um, but the things that I think people don't talk as much about is more about how do you start building an audience or a community or an, uh, people who are excited about this space that you're operating in before you actually build your product. Think about what you said with product time. Just like exactly. five minutes ago, you're like, yeah. you, were, you, you had a group of 100 people. It's not like you had 10 million followers. You had 100 people that you were designing for, right? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. So product time wouldn't exist if I didn't have, if I wasn't writing prior and building this, this audience who uh, was made up of people who love tech. And of course, I'm building a thing for people who love tech. So, uh, you know, I think that's something that people can take away even today and say, I don't, you may not know what you're, you're going to build, even the product or the startup or whatnot, but you can today start building an audience. And I don't mean that in like a transactional way, like I'm gonna be a self-promotional marketer, but more in the sense that can you create something of value for a community of people, whether it's a podcast or a video show or write or host meetups. Like there's a bunch of different things that you can do to gain respect um, among a group of people. And if you start 
doing things that you're passionate about in, in that type of context, you'll find and attract people who are passionate about the same things as you. Yeah. And that will not only be your first like people to talk to to get feedback, but they'll be your first users, first customers. Um, you know, they might even be the people that you hire in the future. Like some of the people who um, were early product hunt users, like Andreas is our CTO, and he was initially a product hunt user <laughs> to begin with. Um, so I think building this kind of audience and um, creating value for a certain group of people is super important. And uh, something that we think a lot about at Product Hunt, how do we enable people who are building products to do so? Because most people end up working in, in like the old way of doing things is like, I'm gonna go in the, the basement or whatever metaphor you wanna use and build my product and not talk to anyone and then I'm gonna put it on the internet and people are gonna find it and love it. And the reality is you maybe, maybe have, you might have built an awesome product, but if no one finds out about it, it doesn't matter. And right now, distribution discovery is so difficult because it's easier to build things and more people are building things as a result. So in some ways, it's like flip it around. Think about how do you find an audience and build an audience before you actually build a product is how we think about it. And uh, what a lot of folks don't know is like that's why Creative Live exists mm -hmm. in large part. Like we facilitated, a, I was a photographer. Yeah and yeah. had built incidentally an audience around photography just because yeah. talking about photography and sharing trade secrets and hoping that helping that community be more open um, and incidentally created a large social following and that was on the backside of like hey and we built this other thing for you because we heard that you guys want to learn so here's a bunch yeah. of photographers and you you built credibility you also probably had a pretty good idea of what they needed and wanted because sure. you literally have been talking to those people for years. <laughs> and you're a part of that community. I think yeah. that's embedded in what in, in your advice there was, these are your people. Mm -hmm. And this is a great thing also to do on the side. Like if your side hustle while you're employed full time at fill in the blank can be building community mm -hmm. around the things that you care about. And building is both, it's like, it's creating something for that community, but it's also participating in it, right? So it's, it's yeah. um, how did you get into products? Like what did you do specifically, tactically to build that community? Where did you go? What did you do? Was it physical, digital, both, neither? Yeah, actually both. So see, let me go through the list. I mean, there's writing itself. So yep. writing um, about technology and what I love to write about was looking at new products like Tinder in the early days. and. I just scratch my head and be like, why is Tinder so compelling? Like, what are the, if you're to break down the components, like uh, from a psychological perspective, like what about even the subtleties of the card swiping feature makes this engaging? Stuff like that. Um, some posts no one really read. Some of them um, read by thousands of people. Um, but when you keep doing it consistently, you start to build up some reputation and audience there. Um, also did uh, brunches and meetups, like very small gatherings yeah. uh, with other uh, mainly founders or other entrepreneurs. How did you find them? Mostly Twitter. Um, in that I was also using and still today, for better or worse, use Twitter um, all the time. Uh, and it's a, the best place to get to know people because it's a very passive way to not only follow people you find interesting or insightful or whatnot, but then over time you start engaging them in, with them in the, the lightest touch ways. It's very different than trying to email someone, hey, do you want to be my mentor? But you know, for example, if I was to interact with someone for 12 months and hopefully add value to a conversation on, on Twitter and then email them and say, maybe it's not, do you want to... It's me from Twitter. Yeah, it's me from Twitter. Do you want to meet up, for example? Um, that's one way to break the ice and also get people comfortable with you. Um, I would, of course, interact on Twitter. I would also read a lot. I was reading a lot of um, tech-related blogs and 
one tactical thing was I, I would always uh, mention the author. So it took an extra five, 10 seconds to find the, the Twitter username, but I would always tag the author. And that was another way of, one, giving them some credit and be like, hey, I read your thing. Awesome. Uh, authors love that. Like every tweet is like encouraging. Yeah. Especially if they aren't already a huge, don't have a huge audience. Um, doing that for years also builds up some recognition and, um, and eventually relationships where you start following each other and then over the course of 12 more months, you start to get to know each other more. So I don't know, it's Twitter, meetups, writing. Uh, what else did I do? Did you, was moving to San Francisco a part of that? Because I think a lot of, that's a question that I feel a lot is like, if I want to be great, yeah. fill in the blank, do I need to move from, you know, you know, Oklahoma to, you know, to San Francisco or to Seattle if it's music or to New York if it's fashion or, mm -hmm. um, so how much, what, what weight do you place on that yay, nay, impossible, possible, what's the spectrum? Yeah, it's, I have, Product Hunt would not exist if I wasn't in San Francisco. Uh, due to the nature of what Product Hunt is, it's a community of people who are excited about technology and, um, and a lot of the things that, kind of the serendipity that happens in this city mm -hmm. um, led me to connect with people like Josh Hamlin, who I mentioned earlier, or uh, other future investors in, in Product Hunt. Um, those connections probably wouldn't have ever happened if I wasn't in the city. Yeah. So for Product Hunt, it was very important. Um, however, I also think increasingly more today, you, of course, can build a product anywhere in the world. We see it happening all the time. On Product Hunt, more than half the people are outside the US that are building these things. So it's uh, quite a global um, community, but the, the world of tech is global. Um, so in many ways, I think it depends on what you're building and, uh, and who you're building for. So building a product for tech people, being in San Francisco is obviously a huge benefit. Yeah. Um, but I don't think there's like a, I don't think there's a right way to build a startup or, or a single way to build a startup for really anything. Yeah, I think that's really, let me pull on that thread a little bit. So you've seen it done lots of ways, right? And so if there's no one path um, are there some preferred paths, or is it literally like, you know, follow your intuition? You, what's your coaching there for people who are thinking about it? If there's yeah. many ways to do it, people want a prescription. How do you reconcile those two things? Yeah, I think one way to approach things is break down. Well, one thing is you don't know exactly what this thing will become. Like with product, and I didn't, I didn't know it was going to become a company in the very beginning when I first started it. Um, so you have to take with what you know, what, what's the biggest obstacle to get over? In some cases, there's, of course, it changes with different stages of the company, but in some cases, it's, I just need to hire. I need to recruit. So you have a couple paths. You can, um, uh, from a geo geographical perspective, you can build a distributed team, and Product Hunt is a distributed team. We have people in nine different time zones, I think. Nine different um, time zones, wow. Yeah, so all over. Um, that's one way of approaching it, but other people might prefer building locally. So if you're building locally, how do you, you know, if you're in San Francisco, you have a lot of talent, a lot of amazing people to connect with. If you're in some, if you're in Eugene, Oregon, where I was born, not many people in technology there. Yeah. Uh, to build a local team would be very difficult. So I think in some ways you could just dissect what are the problems or challenges as I'm progressing. Uh, if the next challenge is fundraising, if that's a path you want to go down, um, again, you don't have to be in San Francisco. You could travel and like live uh, remotely, but being in San Francisco makes it a lot easier um, to raise money in general yeah. as a technology company. So it's you're tackling sort of the biggest challenge, like what's your biggest challenge, and then ch and then tackling that. Yeah, or in, in, if you're like a, a media company, you know, being in LA has a lot of advantages too because there's a lot of people who are experienced and 
and uh, capable in those cities. Um, and then there's a lot of serendipity that happens when you're in the hubs of the core market. So like in New York with finance, for example, and um, SF with tech, LA with media and entertainment. Yeah, and not required, but I think again, cultivating that serendipity, and again, it goes back to physical community. I talk mm -hmm. about it as the other 50%, like making stuff and publishing it and getting people on the, in the internet to know about it, but there's this other 50% of like, what are you doing to participate in the community? Mm -hmm. Are you contributing to blogs? As, are you commenting? Are you following people? And being a part of the physical and the digital, like going to conferences, mm -hmm. I think it's huge, like faces and names and all that stuff. Even if that example that you gave earlier of like communicating with somebody for 12 months on Twitter makes you infinitely more likely to help them mm -hmm. if, you know, if, if they make an ask 12 months from now and you've seen their name in your feed every day for 12 months. Like that's a yeah. powerful, powerful tool. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the, the best way to get to know someone is in person ultimately. So, yeah. and I think I try to avoid conferences actually in general just because I find it very costly from a time perspective. Yeah. Um, and it's usually not as intimate of a connection. Yeah. Um, not to say that they're not valuable sometimes, um, but in person, like intimate conversations are the best. That said, you can also re reach very few people uh, at the end of the day. So I guess the majority of my emphasis has always been digital communication because you can send, write one blog post, send one tweet, and it can reach thousands of people. Mm -hmm. um, I'd err on the side of like doing things that are a little bit more scalable in that sense. Yeah. Um, but then doubling down on the people you really want to get to know, get them to know them in person. Awesome. So what's an example of people at home in their basement, using your, your analogy earlier, creating things and seeing them not succeed? Like what's the, what's the dominant pattern for people who are, and this goes, I want you to talk about the range from, yeah. like from hardware to uh, podcasts, that, you know, the, something costs a lot and takes a long time and something somebody made in their, at, at their house in 45 minutes, mm -hmm. cover the range of people's ideas and what bombs, <laughs> what <laughs> sucks, what, what, is, what is something that you see over and over that could be mitigated? What advice would you give? Yeah, the most common thing, and it, it's, we try to uh, encourage people not to, to approach things, they're launched this way, but one of the biggest issues or challenges is that people start to speak and talk in a markety kind of language in the sense that they start to lose touch with the actual value proposition that they're presenting or they start to get ahead of themselves and use buzzwords too much in their tagline or their messaging. So much so that one, it feels like disingenuous a little bit yeah. and two, it's confusing. People just literally don't know what you're building. <laughs> and it's a common challenge because founders or people building things, they're they know it very intently, they know it the best, and they're super deep into it. They're also thinking, in many cases, like what it could be in five years. So what they tend to do sometimes is they start to describe as if the people, their audience, knows what they're building already, and they also try to impress people by kind of touching on things that are five years in the future, instead of focusing on, here's what I have today, and here's how you can find value in it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it just comes down to like simple, clear language, I think generally does best when it comes to communicating an idea. Um, and I would also recommend just getting people who don't know you or people who don't know what you're building, like just get their feedback on whether it's a landing page or onboarding or the copy itself. Uh, a lot of that can fix a lot of issues because people who discover your thing, they're going to take two seconds to judge it ultimately and say, is this for me, one, and then two, does it look useful or interesting? 
And if you can't hit both those two things, they're not going to sign up. They're not going to care. So what's done on the flip side of, of that? What, what is exceptional? What, when have you seen things? Assuming that they check the boxes that you just talked about, they don't yeah. do, they do a good job of the things you just described people usually doing a poor job of. But what are some yeah. other attributes or patterns that you've seen? Yeah, actually, so one comes to mind. Uh, do you know Superhuman, the email client? No. So it's uh, sort of in private beta and has been for a long time. Uh, Rahul, the CEO, is the, the former founder of Reportive, um, which some people may recognize. Um, it was really popular, acquired by LinkedIn. And they're doing, they're approaching in a really methodical way in that they, they're building an email client, which we've seen done a million times before. Uh, there's a graveyard of uh, email startups that have failed because it's really hard to build a better email client that's, that's 10x better than Gmail. Um, but they're approaching it and they're onboarding new people manually, like one by one, um, and getting a lot of feedback. First, they, they digest what are the things that you need as an email user. They have a survey about 20 or 30 questions. And some of those questions are things like, how important are, is speed? Um, how important is like, email snippets? Um, uh, how important is like, read replies? Stuff like that. And they're making sure that their product today, which is early, will serve all those needs. Because if you as an email user are like, I need labels. I can't use anything without labels, for example. And they don't have labels, you're not going to find value in it. So where I'm getting at is they've done a lot of customer development conversations. And they've narrowed in on not only a feature set for a particular audience, but also the way that they position email is, is really unique. They're actually focusing a lot on speed. And the value prop isn't better email client, the value prop is save you time and make you, you know, uh, give you superpowers in getting through your inbox, which resonates with people because people are like, I hate email, can't get to email ze like inbox zero, spending all this time. And so they're focusing on building a product primarily for that. How do we help people save time? Um, and it's the, why people, you know, buy and use a lot of products. It's not necessarily the, it's the underlying need, which is saving time or saving money or um, uh, solving loneliness, like that's why people use Facebook and Twitter in many cases. Um, they're really focusing on like that core message which resonates with their audience. And so that's a type of, that's a really good like Harvard case study, I think, on how to think through positioning and marketing and onboarding um, yeah. for a company in any way. Let's, to use your thread of like simple language, let's pull on this a little bit more and say, so is it, when people are creating things, whether it's a podcast or a new email client, do you see the most success in products that actually solve for that the human, like the human need? Like the the juxtaposition you said, don't aim to build a better email client. I, mm -hmm. I also talk about don't just aim for better, aim for different. But mm -hmm. in different, you're trying to solve for a thing, and that is this value proposition. So mm -hmm. keep talking about that for just a second, if you would. Yeah, I think it's, it, it varies because it's sometimes it might be as literal as save, help you save time, like yeah. it's positioned that way. Sometimes it's more implicit in how it's positioned, so it's not literally saying that, but it's yeah. through its copy and the way it's presented, it implies that it will save you time. Um, I mean, you could, you could argue that things like Instacart, while they don't say that they're going to save you time, you as a consumer understand through its messaging, oh, it's a service where I don't have to go to the grocery store and like spend an hour you know, picking out groceries. Yeah. Um, that's, that's one of the value props that it kind of positions. Um, so I, yeah, I think it depends on what you're building. I think 
going back to CryptoKitties, uh, <laughs> you know, that value proposition, there's a couple of them. One of them is uh, around just having fun. So it's, it's a, basically like a, it's almost like an old school card game to some extent where you collect these things and you own them and you can trade them and breed them and so on. And so part of it is just like the playful nature and it's cartoon kitties and, and, and that kind of thing um, is all about having fun. There's a sort of a side piece, which is like the, the economics, um, which is doubling down on like this, this uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain um, kind of hype uh, train that we're on right now, um, which is like a secondary value prop, which is implied as well, just to, due to the fact that it's built on uh, the blockchain and it uses Ether to purchase the kitties and, um, and things like that. So uh, you're investing, you're participating in that community while you're doing the... Yeah. Crypto kitties. Yeah, you're putting Oof. putting two two kitties together, breeding new kitties, <laughs> trading kitties. It's it's a weird thing, um, but you know it's in the past week or so, like millions of dollars have been poured into this game because people are excited to have fun, but also potentially get on this this new train, this new uh, money making opportunity potentially. Well, I've been focused for the last like fifteen or twenty minutes on helping people launch things, on on you know probing you for like what's good and what's bad. Any like hard and fast advice that it's just like, do this, do not do this. Yeah, um, one one thing that should be obvious, but it's really not is your launch is not a one-time thing. You're always launching. So y we launched the email list in the beginning. Uh, then we launched the beta. Then we launched the website. Then we launched numerous different features and other, other initiatives. Yeah, and. Uh, I think that's how sh people should think about it. It's not like I'm going to get a, a launch on Product Hunt or like get a TechCrunch article and then I'm done. <laughs> uh, but you're always building new things. And as a result of that, you also should be always talking to people. And so we, we at Product Hunt, we have feature flags and we have beta users and we're always experimenting with both the qualitative but also quantitative side of things to get feedback on new things that we're building. Yeah. And uh, in fact, this weekend, I haven't pushed it out yet, but I'm MVPing. Um, a new idea that we're experimenting with, and I'm planning to use like a Typeform survey and like Quip, um, uh, just like a document tool, mm -hmm. to to identify behaviors and see if people will use like this MVP, which is not even using any software, um, Got it. just out of the box tools. So by MVP, um, for those of you who don't know, minimum viable product is basically you're going to launch something very simple and do a little testing and try and get some feedback over the weekend. Yeah. So you're still yeah. launching, still talking to people, paying attention, and I think. We're talking about this right now in terms of launching products because that's, mm -hmm. I think, appropriately your bias. But the same is true for like new series of photographs, or new series of paintings, mm -hmm. or a mini documentary series, or you know what's embedded in everything you've said is like communication with other humans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like this idea of going in a bunker and building something and coming out and saying, "Ta-da!" Yeah, that's just fiction, right? And also, it's everything you create or are working on can be an opportunity to get feedback, but build respect or, or some engagement with people. So going back to my brother, he's published dozens, maybe hundreds of videos on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. Um, a lot of it's just footage he's been playing with for fun and building on his own. And then now he just got a job and that's solely because one, he's built the experience and the talent to do so. But two, he has a portfolio that he's been showing. I've talked to some people in more of the creative fields who are like really nervous to share their stuff. They're like, Talk to this one guy who has some like pretty good music. I'm like, I was I was bobbing my head to it, and I'm like, you should publish it. And he's like, he doesn't want to. He's too nervous to. I'm like, don't worry about it. I mean, uh, worst case scenario, no one will like read it or even care, and they're not going to say anything. <laughs> right. If if they hate on you, it actually is probably a good sign. It means that they're like paying attention. Um, so I think that's a, a theme that 
uh, I think people can take away is like just be okay with sharing openly. Um, and then more on the technology product side, uh, a lot of people are secretive. They're like, oh, I don't want someone to steal my idea. I think that's, um, that's not your worst fear or concern. At the end of the day, you, you have a lot more problems <laughs> other than someone stealing your idea. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more advantageous to share and get feedback and talk to people rather than be secretive and stealthy. Yeah, the, I, I've had people ask for, you know, lots of people, 100,000 probably, asked me to sign an NDA to give them <laughs> feedback. And they're like, wait, you want me yeah. to do some work for free to help you out? To, you want me to sign? Like, dude, people don't care, okay? Yeah. They're too busy. And as the, for the amount of passion that you have to actually stumble across the person who happens to be building the same thing is going to take your idea and leverage it into theirs, it's somewhere around zero. Mm-hmm. And by contrast, what this trend that you've seen of someone who's watched th hundreds of thousands of products being launched, like a theme is communication, sharing, getting it out there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, again, there's no right way to start a startup. There are certain companies which should maybe be stealth, but the majority should not. Yeah. And uh, you know that person who's hearing about your idea, they probably don't care, or two, maybe they're not the right founder or person to build it. So. Yeah. Like for me, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be the one to build Creative Life. Like it's I'm not uh, creative. I don't I, I can press the button on my iPhone to take a photo. That's about it. <laughs> but like I it's I'm not in my DNA. Whereas it's like certainly in yours, yes. and you had experience um, with videography and working with brands in this community. So many times there's like this. Um, I think it was Chris Dixon has a really interesting blog post from way back around founder market fit, and it's uh, there's product market fit, which is all about the product you're building has some sort of need in the market. Um, founder market fit is more about, are you the founder or the person to build for this type of market? Um, you're certainly built for this creative world. I'm certainly built for this tech um, kind of maker world. Um, but you know, we, we all have our own biases or like advantages in that way. Yeah. All right. So this, I would get, I would get roasted if I didn't ask, but it's, it's like it's not why I wanted you on the show. All this stuff we've been talking about today is really like the community has always asked me. So I wanted to bring on someone who has seen more launches probably than anybody in the world. And I think, I mean, firsthand, you get people sending you how many things you receive every day, new launches. See, on product in itself, we'll have maybe a little bit over a hundred a day. Yeah, a hundred new products a, a day. day. It's been four it. years. And now. then you're looking yeah. at data of which ones are successful and why, and the ones that are successful, you obviously go, you know, you double click into that and say. Wow, what's making these people successful? Oh, they have a community. Oh, they have a founder who's out there. Or this particular podcast, this person's been really thoughtful and they're differentiated. And so you've been mm -hmm. watching that. But here's the reality: people want to know what's coming. Yeah. We yeah. we open the show with your you see trends, macro trends. You've said blockchain like 50 times already. <laughs> so yeah. obviously that's one of the trends. But yeah. right now there's someone who's like that they've been wanting. They say, oh my gosh, Ryan Hoover, they're listening to the, the episode right now and they're like, I just want to know what's coming. I don't yeah. want to build anything, I just want yeah. to know what are the hot trends. And I try and avoid content that's not, that's not really evergreen. I think that evergreen content is what makes the world go around. But mm -hmm. all right, here we are where it's, when, when is it? What's roughly what? what uh, it's sixth, the, it's the early December. Yeah. Yeah, uh, heading into the holidays here in 2017. Yeah. Um, What's happening? What, is, what do you see? Look at your crystal ball and give us some guideposts of yeah. you know, what, what's cool shit that's coming down the pipe. So I've been thinking more recently about trying to predict, and I'm certainly going to be wrong, but at least trying to think through what themes might be um, telling in 2018 in the next year. And uh, 
sometimes it's hard to know what's too early and, and, and whatnot. Like VR, for example, five, four or five years ago, we all know that VR is going to have a big impact on the world. Four or five years ago, people were, some were betting like it's going to be this year or it's going to be next year. Yeah. Uh, but it still hasn't played out from a mainstream kind of adoption perspective. So it's always hard to know. It's more about timing um, than if, in my, yeah. in, in my view. I think there's a few interesting areas that I'm excited about. And like one of them is voice and looking at voice input and communication. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing Alexa uh, and all these echo devices um, infiltrating people's homes. I, I'm forgetting the exact numbers, but in the U.S., this middle of this year, something around 11 million uh, Alexa devices were in homes, I believe. Um, I'm sure it probably could be three to four times that uh, by now. Then you have Google Home, and you all have uh, you know, the iPhone in our pockets and other things like that. I, I heard a study um, that teenagers, half, half of the searches um, are actually through voice uh, by younger generations uh, versus like just typing on the phone. Yeah. So you're seeing combination of, one, adoption of these devices and this hardware, but two, a behavior, at least within a certain subset of the populace, that's using voice to input data. And that's changing the way that people interact with technology. So I, I look at that and I'm like, okay, well, what does that enable? And what can you as a maker or creator build for this future if you assume and place a bet that voice will actually eat into a lot of the tap-tap computing that we've historically been doing? Yeah. And, uh, it's just fascinating to think through that. Like, does, does the world need a new social network for this, this type of interface? Is there an opportunity to build a platform or a tool set for other people to build on top of voice technology? Um, and there's a bunch of people who are doing all of those types of things. Um, so voice is super interesting. I think we're also seeing this, um, I don't know, I haven't solidified my thoughts on this quite yet, so it's a little bit raw. But there's a lot of interest, I think, around avatars. and. Uh, we're seeing everything from Snapchat, of course, a few years ago, uh, introducing these face filters and like the dog face and mm -hmm. all of these other things using sort of augmented reality. Um, and Facebook and Instagram and a lot of others are... Animoji. Animoji is a good one. Animoji is probably the most uh, prominent example, um, at least for a week or so. Future forward. Everyone was. Yeah. 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 And uh, thinking through like avatar communication is really fascinating and how... There's a couple of reasons for that. One, we have the technology to create really um, emotionally driven, like lifelike avatars uh, that actually express our facial recognition, like our facial features and, and expressions and emotions. Um, and two, it solves actually some interesting challenges and problems that I'm seeing more and more in, in social uh, in particular, in that I'm increasingly like frustrated sometimes with all the hate and all the nastiness that's coming through social networks today. And I think avatars create this veil of privacy to some extent, yet it doesn't um, avoid the, the intimacy of like a video or like a, a visual kind of um, expression. Yeah. So again, really nascent, but I, I think there's something around there that we'll start seeing more avatars used in different forms and maybe even new social um, forms of communication or even networks built on top of something like that in the coming year or two. Um, there's cryptocurrencies, blockchains, all that stuff is obviously like super nascent. People are uh, excited about it. There's partly a lot of hype around that. There's a lot of ICOs that are um, very questionable at best um, on their legitimacy. Um, but then there's also a lot of innovation and uh, really fascinating um, things that are really, we don't know how it's going to change things. I think a lot of people are comparing it or looking at like, you know, early days of the internet and that like TCP IP um, enabled a whole lot of things to happen. And that the was, that's the internet connectivity protocol, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Without that, like we wouldn't have like at least without that specifically, we wouldn't have like websites and, and um, who would have known that TCP/IP would have enabled us to even communicate like through Twitter? Like that's 
several years in the future, but that protocol is what enabled these things to happen. And so when you look at blockchain and cryptocurrencies and how it's changing the incentives and removing barriers that once existed before, uh, it's super fascinating. Um, so we'll see a lot of things in the next year on that. Okay, so voice, um, characters or avatars, avatars. Uh, blockchain, give me two others. Two others, um, let's see. Um, like some of them, there's this theme that I'm hesitant to talk about. Um, Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm, I want to hear. About. I'm hesitant to talk about because it's a, it's a tricky one. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, so Silicon Valley um, is both loved and hated. And I'm afraid we'll see more of it hated in the future, um, particularly in the next two years. And the reason for that is like, of course, every industry, including Silicon Valley, has a lot of problems. And we're seeing this past year, um, in particular, a lot of sexual um, harassment finally coming to light, um, which is a good thing. Uh, but we're also seeing a lot of um, distrust around traditional venture capital and um, a lot of the ways that people build companies and, and raising much money, never focusing revenue, and then like doing a fire sale. And like, there's a lot of themes, and that's, of course, a problem. Um, and the big issue that, that you know, is coming soon, and, and I don't know exactly where this will play out, but it's automation and thinking through Silicon Valley is, is both a location, but it's also an industry or like a uh, kind of like a brand yeah. <laughs> in many ways. And Silicon Valley is seen as a place where automation is going to destroy people's jobs. And uh, there's a lot of different opinions around one, that is a problem, and we need to have basic um, income and things like that to protect against that. Others, like, don't worry about it. Like, we've had vehicles, like, put horses out of work, and we're fine, yeah. um, and other things like that. Um, but the reality is, no matter what, whichever direction it goes, there's going to be a lot of uh, distrust and hate and frustration um, placed on Silicon Valley for innovating in these technologies. And so it worries me a little bit on what will happen in our ecosystem and how the world will perceive Silicon Valley. And I haven't mentioned all the other problems it has because yeah. um, that's a longer discussion, but um, I'm generally an optimist. I'm always one that believes we should be responsible, but also always push forward technology. Like, and technology has also always been with us. Like this jacket, this is technology to some extent. Like we didn't have like this yeah. types of ways yeah, to create elastic, elastic like wrists. Right shoes, there. like yeah. we didn't used to have shoes. This is technology. Yep. Um, the world will always progress technologically speaking and Silicon Valley has traditionally been the hub for that. And I'm afraid that the problems that do emerge from advancements in technology will be placed, um, tech Silicon Valley will be placed uh, the blame for Maybe that disproportionately stuff. blamed for. Yeah. Is it justified? So, um, uh, I. This is what you're wrestling with. Yeah, it's, it's hard <laughs> because uh, part of me, um, there's some some of it's justified in terms of like some of the specific things around, uh, you know, the way that um, uh, a lot the of the culture, yeah, the, culture, a lot yeah, of the culture yeah. around like okay, raise a bunch of money, raise raise money, yeah. like, that's success. That's not success. That's actually uh, a vehicle to do something meaningful, create value in the world. Um, and there's there's this culture that's sort of manifested in the past, I don't know, five to ten years around that. That's a problem that needs to be fixed. But then there's another side of Silicon Valley which. It is a place that's innovating and, and solving a lot of problems um, in the world through technology. And we'll see more and more s problems solved through, through Silicon Valley in particular. Yeah. We'll also see Silicon Valley causing a lot of problems also. So yeah. I don't think it's a black or white thing. Um, but I'm, I am yeah, afraid that like, 
if we don't think through how do we address these other issues that we're causing in Silicon Valley, um, we're going to get placed a lot of the blame. And like, there's even uh, it, it's being in a big city like this. It's kind of in some ways like fearful when you think about like even fiscal attacks and things like that. Not to go like down that rabbit hole. Yeah, terrorist attacks. Sure. Um, anyway, it's something I think about a little bit. I don't know the answer, unfortunately. No, that's good. I like I want things on the show that are raw and not fully baked yet, not fully yeah. processed. Yeah. Uh, along the same lines, like what are some things that, uh, you know, we're in the same community, we've known each other for a few years, um, and you're very, you know, we've talked to this, you know, for the pre previous like hour almost about sort of being open and having community and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that people wouldn't know about you that would be surprised to find out in this mm. episode? Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of the most interesting thing here. Um, uh, my, people may know this, because um, I think I've written about it, but I don't know, the first website I built was really awful, um, <laughs> as most are. It was, again, I was just learning, yeah. and uh, it was actually, I was building basically a joke website. I called it OperationLaugh.com. The domain is probably still on the internet archive okay. somewhere. Um, the domain expired. I don't have any more. Okay. But it was embarrassing in that I not only was the design terrible, but I was building it with static HTML. Every single page was its own thing. There was no cascading like universal style sheets. Like it was yeah. just terrible. Um, so that's that's like one thing. But you know that led me to learn more about technology and get excited about it. Um, let's see what else do people not know. I um, I almost, at first I, I didn't know what I wanted to do in school, in business school. I, um, I was thinking, oh, I'll just work for my dad's company, um, which is in the recycling um, waste management industry, which, love what they're doing, they build an amazing business, but I mean, gosh, if I was doing that right now, I'd, I'd hate myself. Um, so there's always those moments where, you know, I, I think people can empathize where you don't know what you want to do. and. Maybe you try to, to go for like the least um, difficult path, which for me is like, oh, work for my dad's company. My dad was smart to say like, no, you're like, you will work somewhere else for a year after college and then come back to me if you're still interested. Thankfully, I found something better. Um, but I think that's that's something that uh, I took away is like trying to, to play around, be creative and, and discover what you actually want to do and not settle um, is an important piece. All right, you have to keep going on that one because that's good. So not settling. what. You know, do you see people settling? Do you see people um, making things that they don't really want to make? Like, what's what made you say that? What made you realize that that was an important thing for you? Yeah, I mean, there's the there's the almost cliche thing where it's my parents want me to be a dentist or a doctor, and so they go to med school and then they spend all this I was money. That, I was that cliche. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. How long? How far did you get into med school? Way too. Uh, no, I bailed before. Oh, okay. But the whatever. Three of my four years in college spent preparing for it. Yeah, absolutely waste yeah. of time and money. Yeah. I mean, I didn't lose a bunch of sleep over it, but I, I those were the most sort of painful because I was doing something that was felt so counter to what I was supposed yeah. to do in the world. Yeah, and I think it's important. I'm glad that you said cliche because at the heart of every cliche is not every cliche, but at the heart of a lot of cliches is some some you know there's some part of it that's like I need to look at that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I, having personally felt like I, I was, you know, so lower middle class, not like dirt poor, but not well off. But mm -hmm. the fact that I'm white, male, 
born in the United States. My mother and father are still together. The fact that all these things happened. And I still found it probably the, one of the biggest challenges of my life was breaking free of the thing that everybody else wanted me to be, mm -hmm. the things or the people or the, the human that I was projecting versus the one that I really was. Mm -hmm. To think that, A, I had all those advantages and it was still arguably the hardest thing I've ever done, to think of people who don't have all of those advantages and then you put that in the big pot and I think that's why things like Creative Live are so powerful, Product mm -hmm. Hunt are, is powerful for people to be able to discover things out in the world that get them closer to themselves mm -hmm. or, um, so when you're saying it's cliche, keep, keep like, that was so real for me, um, is that it, it clearly is a thing that manifests itself in you as well. Talk to me about it. Yeah, yeah, because it's, I mean, I've had friends that have gone to law school and then they get their degree and then they spend a year or two in law school and then they drop out and they realize, I never wanted to do this anyway. Yeah. Uh, and it's really hard to know what to do. Again, I didn't know until my senior year in college, I happened to get an internship at a video game company. Yeah. I was always into technology, but I never saw a path to actually get into technology where I was yeah. located. And now we, we do live in a world where the internet is, is, has everything from learning opportunities. It's pretty much you can learn almost anything um, on the internet, almost for free, um, if not for free. And you can also connect with pretty much anyone on the internet who has the same passion, um, whether it's you know, through Twitter or Reddit or other communities on, online. Um, so I think it's easier for people to avoid those mistakes um, because there, there are paths to figure out and explore things that you might be passionate about. Um, yet still people fall into that trap because it's my, my parents or everyone else is doing this or this is the easiest thing to do, but maybe not what, what I want to do. Do you have an anecdote? Like what's the cure? What's the, how do you fix it? Um, yeah, I think, I think just being, recognizing that uh, is the first step. Recognizing like why am I doing this thing or what do I want to pursue? And most people, I'm almost speaking more to college students because I know this is a very common problem, is like I don't know what I want to do. Um, so I'd always recommend just ex explore, talk to different people, explore different industries. Like my brother just randomly picked up a camera uh, two or three years ago and just and liked it. And now he's doing That's that for a career. Yeah. yeah, and it only takes like that one moment or that one thing. Um, you know, non-professionally, I, I went to Coachella. 2015 was my first year. And for whatever reason, Coachella was, I've always listened to music, but it was that weekend which made me really appreciate music, especially live music more. And now I love going to shows and going to festivals and um, I listen to more music and I appreciate it a lot more than I used to. And it was that one weekend that changed my entire perspective. Yeah. So Never forget your one decision away from an entirely different life. Yeah. That's a really good, good way of putting it. Someone way yeah. smarter than me probably. <laughs> yeah. It's a quote meme somewhere. But just I think that's a really important you know, pin to stick in to... Mm -hmm. There's so many people, you talked about college students, there's also so many people who got bamboozled to go down the wrong path and they need to figure out, you know, they bought a, had a couple of kids, bought a house, yeah. got in over their head and, and extracting from that, mm -hmm. I think that's a huge, you know, challenge and opportunity. Again, that's one of the reasons that Creative Live exists. Um, I've said before, if our parents had one job, we're going to have five, the next mm -hmm. generation has five at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, so what's next for you? Where, are you? where are you going? What are you, what's, what, what are you building next? What's, um, where are you going at, at 11.35? Yeah, let's see. <laughs> no, no, like, give, me, give me a little context. Like, what, what are you, 
are you yeah. thinking about where you're going? What's next? Um, let's see, I can answer a few different ways. One, uh, on the product hunt side, we're thinking through like next year's kind of roadmap, and uh, a lot of it's around two different themes. One of them is um, uh, monetizing. So we've, as of two months ago, started uh, selling our first thing, uh, collecting money for the first time, because historically we haven't. And uh, we're having hundreds of makers and companies now paying us on a monthly basis, which is really exciting because it's, it's new and it's like a different thing to explore. Um, and then on the other side, we're also experimenting and exploring like, okay, Product Hunt is you know, the best place to see what's new in technology. And every day you click on, on Product Hunt and you just like, it shows you cool stuff. Things that you would never, never search for because they didn't exist yesterday. Um, however, we now have this database and this community of people who are curating, reviewing, recommending all these things. How do we make this a place where now people can come and browse and discover the things that they're looking for? So Christmas is coming up. If you're like, okay, well, what should I buy for my, my mom, for example, for her home? Uh, you know, there should be a place where you can discover all the coolest smart gadgets, for example, for the home. Um, if you just got a, a new Android uh, phone, like what Android apps are like the best for photography lovers, for example? Um, so there's a lot of that which is changing and, and actually building more for a mainstream, bigger audience, to be honest. Like more people have that problem than want to just discover what's new in technology. Yeah. Um, so that's the product hunt side. And then uh, also been doing some investing as of about six or seven months ago. Um, raised a small fund and investing in early stage companies. Isn't um, it make so, so much sense? Like you see them first, why not be able to put a little bit of your own money behind them or your, yeah. your money plus some other folks? Like that seems radically intuitive. Yeah, it's uh, actually going back to your question, like something that people may not know about me. I during the whole transition from Playhaven into Product Hunt, around that same time, I was looking at uh, maybe entering VC um, because I naturally am like, I love new products, I love technology, I like talking to founders. Maybe I would enjoy doing venture capital. Um, I ultimately didn't do it at that time. Um, now I feel like I'm in a good position and um, have more experience, experience and credibility to invest in companies. So doing that, which is really fun, the, my favorite part about it is it's an excuse to learn about different industries. Um, one company I invested in is in the shipping space, which like, truthfully, I don't know much about shipping, and now I'm, uh, is basically a motivator to learn more about it and understand the industry more. Is it ship? No, oh. no, sh ship is the product that we built, um, <laughs> which is unrelated to shipping, um, but it's got a really cute Sailor Kitty mascot. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just these opportunities to talk to these founders who are building early nascent companies, some of them even pre-launch. Um, and so that's been really fun and a learning experience for sure. So. so we talked about a few things that people would know about you. There's a couple of things or what's next. Um, it's my goal to have this be the definitive interview with you on the internet. So now... Pressure's on. Yeah, no, <laughs> just like, you know, that the, the product hunt community that you know, you personally, like, there's been a lot of professional talk. What drives you personally, privately? Like, is it sort of recognition? Is it awareness? Is it discovery? Is it learning? Like, I'm trying to unpack some of the attributes of the people who are on the show. So mm -hmm. what are some of your personal attributes that you think have created um, what people see on the Internet and what you, how you think of yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's um, there's a lot of a lot of motivators. I think with anyone with, in anyone's job or career, I think there's some of it's, um, certainly, frankly, there, there's some of it's a 
proving and, and building credibility in something. So, you know, going back to the monetization piece, my goal is for our business unit at Product Hunt to break even to cover our costs um, next year. And um, it's both my goal and the team's goal, but it's it's per partly my goal because I want to accomplish that. I want to check that off as like a founder. It's like a milestone is now you, you're you're floating at least. Mm -hmm. um, then the next goal is figuring out how to make more money. Um, but that's that's partly it. I think also the somewhat cheesy but real answer too is that I also really enjoy those warm, fuzzy feelings when you help someone. Um, and to, to articulate that, I, I mentioned earlier, I met up with a, a, a guy who I've known a while, really young guy, 21 years old, thinking about starting a company. And uh, he's been building products for a while. And, um, and he asked me, like, he's like, Ryan, um, towards the end of our conversation, he's like, why are you helping me? And I was like, that's interesting. That's, like, let me think about that. Like, <laughs> I hadn't thought about like asking myself that. And a lot of it really was around, you know, I saw myself where you are four years ago. And I want, I want to just genuinely help you and see you succeed because I feel like that's the way other people treated me. Going back to Josh Elman and so many other people like Nier and, and others, they helped me when I was at that stage. And so those feelings of like having a small part in maybe someone's success or helping them in some way, and it could be through meetings, could be intros, could be yeah. funding. Um, that's why like funding and investing is such an exciting thing to do now to like extend the ways that I can help people. Um, so a little bit cheesy, but it's authentic in that I hopefully at the end of the day like want to have a legacy of, of helping people do cool things and build valuable products and companies. Amazing. Thank you so much Thanks for, for being me. on the show. This I've is an amazing, amazing studio, by the way. Like most of the <laughs> interviews I've done have been like some sort of uh, omnidirectional mic in a conference room. <laughs> and you got the tinny set. Yeah, no. Yeah, this is, this is, we, this is we, pro. We do it right here. It's pro. It's pro. Thank you so much for doing what you, I've got so much joy from Product Hunt. Um, you know, discovered new things, um, been on the deliver, like brought new products to you that, mm -hmm. that uh, the Product Hunt community has found joy in. We've learned a lot. Just threw up voting and downvoting in the comments. You were on things. Product Hunt Live a long time ago? Yeah. Way back in the day? Way back. Yeah. That was a long <laughs> time ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, congratulations on what you built. Extraordinary. Um, how do people follow you? You're uh, R. Hoover, right? Yeah, RR Hoover actually is my, my Twitter uh, username and also the same thing on Snapchat and everything else. So, RR Hoover. Yep. Awesome. Thank you so much. Cool. Bud. Really Thanks, appreciate Jason. it. Appreciate it. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day 
uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash creative live or at creative live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.